You're listening to the Rural Advancement Podcast. Rural Advancement provides resources to empower, equip, and encourage rural pastors and churches. Join our community by visiting us at ruraladvancement.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. Uh, This is the podcast that is designed by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal uh, every week to bring you content that not only speaks to the rural context, but is spoken by those who get it, those who grew up there, those who have worked and ministered there, uh, those who have loved it, left it, come back again, and all those things. And so if you find yourself a bivocational pastor, a ministry leader, a Sunday school teacher, somebody just trying to do the Lord's work in a small place. We are just so glad you tuned in today. Uh, A couple things I've been excited for. We just finished up a huge series on bivocational ministers, but near the end of the year here, we get a chance just to do one or two uh, one-off interviews, kind of just mining, uh, you know, different pastors for their life experience. And uh, this week is no different. So we are so excited to dive into that. I am your host, Joe Epley. And today I'm excited because we have with us a ministry couple um, that my father-in-law actually connected me to, and they got to meet down in the uh, tropical place of Cabo in Mexico, um, which we, uh, you'll find out, you know, our, our pastors we're interviewing today live in Iowa, and I'm in Montana, and the wind chill, let's just say, is less than Cabo. And so we're excited to be at least, you know, talking uh, and, and inside tonight when it's so cold out. So uh, first, I want to just welcome them. We're going to be talking today with pastors uh, Troy and Brenda Renter. And so I just want to say, hi, guys. How are you doing? We're doing well. Yes. And it is definitely a much different temperature, uh, even here in Iowa, compared to Cabo. So, <laughs> And I'm doing great. I work in a school, so I'm so excited because I'm on break till after January. So. Oh man, you know, there is some there are some really high highs with the school schedule and some really tough parts too. And but that's one of the nice parts is you get a lot of yeah. a lot of those yes. cool breaks. So <laughs> cool. Well, um, I want to dive into some of these questions today. As I got to talk with uh Pastor Troy and got to hear your story, I just really super enjoyed hearing the unique experience um that you guys have had. And so why don't you maybe take uh, a few minutes here and describe your ministry journey and kind of highlight your connection to the rural church. We like to let people know what kind of what kind of chops we have in connection with the rural church. And so whether that's where you're from, where you started ministry, I know you guys have had so many fun contexts. So I just want to turn it over to you to maybe help us get familiar with who you are. Okay. Brenda, you want to go first? Or? Sure. I, um, well, I started out, I was born and raised in Wisconsin in a rural town about 900. My graduating class was 64. So I, my roots are in the rural, but um, the journey that God's took me on, I went to college in Minneapolis, moved to Omaha, Nebraska. We lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we've lived in cities, towns, and I would say villages. <laughs> and so um, the journey of God moving us in the ministry has been phenomenal because we've lived on the East Coast. We've lived in mid-America um, just to see the gamut of what God has in the different places. But in all of it, I would say the heart of the people are the same, but there are the challenges that, you know, have come. Yeah, I think the same. I grew up in rural Nebraska and um, out on a small acreage, went to a small school. I think my graduating class was maybe 40. Um, And so, yeah, so we both kind of grew up in in rural America. Um, And then also then when you start looking at God took us to the cities and then um, both at, at the same time. And then we came back when we moved to Iowa, we moved to a little bit larger town than we are in now. 
Um, and then that was our, again, our taste back into rural um, being there and then took us out to the East Coast, which was definitely not rural. And then uh, <laughs> brought us back to Iowa again, where we're in a much smaller community and in a little different field from what we're used to. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the parts that as we get into conversation today, I'm excited to highlight because again, uh, I feel like, and, and obviously, you know, there's a ton of ministry experiences, but I feel like I frequently find people who, who tend to find a lane in a sense, you know, there's people who are like, man, I've worked in churches of a thousand or up, or I, and that's really where I find my home. And I've worked in churches of a hundred or less. And I really find my home there. And uh, it's not often in my experience that I've run across people who are like, man, I, I've done both and done it a couple of times. And so you guys are unique in that sense. And so I really am excited to mine uh, kind of that wisdom and that perspective. Um, and so I, I want to dive into this. So so maybe take me just for a second, um, highlight the churches. And, and again, I do want to talk, you know, we don't always focus on the numbers, but I do want to talk maybe the size of the community, size of the church, right. and just highlight those for me real quick in your ministry journey. The, our first church where we met was we were both um, kind of volunteer leaders in ministry, um, and that church was a um, a little over a thousand in Omaha, Nebraska. And then we moved to Wisconsin. Um, our that church was there was about two to three hundred. And then when um, there we then we moved into full time ministry. Um, we were part time at that church. We moved into full time ministry. That church was about four hundred or so. Uh, maybe a little larger. Then we came kind of just jumping through all of our churches, came back to when we moved to Iowa. Um, that church was about 110 um, and a revitalization um, nice. with a pastor that we knew. And then from there, we jumped to a church in New Jersey, which was over a thousand. And then we were there for a couple of years. And then we when we came back to Iowa, we took over a church of um, well about 50. Uh, another revitalization. So it's a, they were all different changes. Our um, communities that we were in, um, our Wisconsin churches, they were all, um, the community itself was probably about 10,000 people, but the one we were close to Milwaukee, um, because we were so close, all the towns were about the same. So there's about 60, 70,000 people oh, right nice. in our general area of our church. But when we went to um, Iowa, um, Oskaloosa, it was about 10,000. Um, it also had a small university there. And of course, on the East Coast, there was people everywhere. Uh, sure, so that's yeah, sure. to give you uh, probably a couple hundred thousand in that whole area. The town, it's the city itself, Marlton, didn't have that many, but all the towns attached to it, you sure. um, made it really grow. And then um, Iowa, where we're at now, is about 5,000. Nice. So we've, we've been in a lot of different uh, variances in population. Wouldn't you agree, Brenda? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so maybe, uh, so my next question then mining kind of from that, looking at that, um, and you guys can answer again together or one after another. Um, but I, I think that there's gotta be some lessons that you've taken from these smaller church contexts and said, man, I really loved carrying that with me to a larger church and then vice versa. You know, what, what is something that coming from a larger church, you go, man, I, I would love to see the rural church engage in more, or this is something that really, man, carry, I carried with me into the rural church, hoping to to gain traction. And so there's these, these reverse lessons, you know what I'm saying? Cause I think one of the things we tend to do sometimes, especially if you're, if you've been in rural a lot, or you've really focused there is you almost like demonize like a large church. It's very tempting to say, well, I mean, you know, we, we've got this and the large church is whatever, you know, but, but that's not true. Right. And so maybe highlight for me, some of these lessons that, that have helped you from both contexts. 
me like the lesson um i prefer it's kind of interesting because i the royal church is challenging in that for example when people aren't there you know they're not there so that's positive and negative the positive is where do they go why aren't they here um, sure. And we miss them and we have that connection with the those families and it's more of a family atmosphere and the relationship. Um, I know that when we moved to New Jersey and I, Troy was the um, children's pastor, was family ministries pastor, and I came there without a role. And oh. I just kind of like had no um, ministry. I, you know, it was really hard to build relationships and I'm a huge relationship person. So mm. it was so different. Like family, like when we move into a small town community, they all show up to help you move in. They all show up to bring food. They all show Absolutely. up to make you feel comfortable and and a part of. And the bigger was, here's a gift card for a food, pl- you know, whatever. So yeah, sure, that sure, relationship sure. part wasn't as much. Um, and so for me, that was huge. I don't know if that's. Yeah, I think. I think, so, you know, some of the things that we, you know, um, that are the same, as Brenda mentioned, that um, people's hearts are the same and wanting, yeah. you know, they do want relationship. It's about how they go about it. Mm-hmm. And oh, I sure. think that's the biggest difference. What we've seen and even in our church in Wisconsin, where people, Wisconsin or New Jersey or here in Iowa, it's um, it's it's all based on relationship. But, you know, like Brenda said, in the smaller rural churches, it was more like family. You kind of are all looking out for each other. Where where's people at? What's going on? And at the same time, you can feel like where we're at now. You can feel a little more isolated because you're still the outsider. Sure. Where sure. in a larger church, you can kind of settle in. You can get yourself plugged into some small groups and things like that. Because we've we have some lifetime friends that are still in both Wisconsin and New Jersey that we talk to on a regular basis, and mm. and so you kind of build that family atmosphere. But it, you have to go about it in a whole much a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so coming then from the big church to the small church again, what are some things that maybe being in a larger church specifically taught you or certain principles that emerged more there that you think would be cool to bring into the rural church? I think that is that relation, how to welcome outsiders. Like, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the biggest things like for ourselves is when people walk in, you don't talk to who you're familiar with. You talk to the new guy that walks in the door, Mm. sit with them, talk to them, um, make them feel comfortable. But it was interesting because Troy and I are very relational. We've had a few couples that have come in and we're like, hey, we'd like to take you to lunch. Let's, you know, they didn't show up again. And I was like, whoa, did we overwhelm them? But so it's 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 interesting because I think when there's so few people in a church and the new people come in, you know, it kind of makes them feel sometimes uncomfortable because they're the new people. They're definitely pegged as new people and they just want to kind of blend in, sit in experienced church before. Mm -hmm. um, So that's something that um, I would say when you said, what did we take in? Well, we learned how in the the larger church that connections matter when you have a big church and you greeting and welcoming people is so important because people can blend in. But when they're in a small church, they're easy to, you know, I don't say target, but, you know, you can see when. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you have to be careful on that. So that's one thing. I think it's how to reach people. And I think another thing is one of the big things we learned, especially in New Jersey, was vision casting Mm -hmm. and and kind of a branding. You know, how do you in a sense of market your church in a a way? And I'm not talking about business marketing. I'm 
But branding, sure. how do you develop who you are and getting that into the community and 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 using your talents for that and and where do you start developing those? Mm-hmm. And um, kind of trying to get to our church because where we're at now, we're working on really connecting our church to the community and mm-hmm. building a, a name for the church in the community. Mm-hmm. It's been there for 35 years, but it's just on the outside of town. So it ha- sometimes it gets lost in that, hey, we're still part of Harlan area, you know, um, sure. because most of our congregants don't attend it. And the thing yeah. that I was talking about, the branding part is, the changes, like we yep. came in and and um, this pastor had been there for 35 years and this couch was uh, in the entryway because so-and-so's <laughs> grandmother donated it. And I love Roy that. And, I, and we came in with, this has got to look not like a funeral parlor, but a you know church and we have to come back up to the times and it doesn't. So the heritage thing was kind of a, a barrier to some degree, yep. but we really had to come in and say, but our goal is not to make us feel welcome here ourselves. Right. Like your family is to reach the lost and the other right. people in the community. And what do they want in a church? You know what I mean? So it's not, you guys know Jesus. You guys have been here. Yeah, You've been here for, for sure. 35 years, but we need to show the community that we care. And we need to make some changes in the, even the cosmetics of what the church is looks like. And it's not because so-and-so's, grandmother donated something or whatever right, it's right, gotta right. be so yeah. the progressive move what we learned in um the larger churches is to be progressive and go yeah. forward and move yeah. and times are changing and we have to change with the times and that was it's we did do that and we did i think troy did it uh, we did a phenomenal job here with that but it was a tough one it right. was really yeah. tough you know, and one of the things that we realized too is, and we took from coming from larger churches was not having committees, um, rather going to task force for the singular task. So when the church really hadn't been updated and painted for a while, so we right. built a small, we got, we asked around what ladies and or guys um, kind of liked, liked that interior. And we started meeting with them and talked to just them privately about what we wanted to do. And we put a small task force together and their only job was to help come up with a color palette for our church. And then once they were done, they could join something else, but they that their job was done. Mm-hmm. And then there was a new committee that came on and now what walls were gonna get painted what? And what, oh, wow. you know, and, and so some of those people came and followed us on that onto that committee, but not everyone wanted to. And so it was only on for a task. So it did make some ownership there. And they yeah. so they took ownership of some of that low-hanging fruit that you would kind of say um, really made that kind of a fun atmosphere mm-hmm. when we were doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we found the people's talents and abilities yep. and, and made, you know, just made them feel a part in the progression of yep. the change yeah. that we were doing. Well, and I and I genuinely love, I mean, I, I love everything you're saying because it's true that often large churches by design and and just by necessity have to develop these really efficient systems and these really i mean they they really excel in in helping organize large groups of people and so even in the rural church um yeah tons of things can die in committees you can get personalities that dominate you because there's so few people but if you say and you can burn out your people quick because there's not a lot of them and so you you do a task force and then you say well it's done i mean that's that's a gold mine right there and i even love um brenda what you said about like uh, I I have never once thought that I could possibly overwhelm a new visitor to our rural church. And even as you're talking, I'm like, oh, oh man, like 
people could come to church and just want to chill and blend in. And like that, it sounds stupid, but like it definitely blew my mind. And I'm like, man, as a rural church, how are we being at least strategic in how we interact? Because again, you could say, well, I got invited to lunch 15 times and you're just like, man, I'm, I'm over. Whoa. You know, but if you just said, Hey, we're glad you're here. We want you to get out of this, whatever. Like that's definitely a lesson, man. That's so Mm -hmm. cool. And I love the value you ascribe to each context. Well, hey, um, moving through these, let's let's move on to the next question. So you mentioned that your previous pastor, when you guys were in New Jersey, uh, had a heart or some experience in revitalization and passed on kind of some of those lessons to you about how to create change in a church. Now, obviously, we already kind of touched on uh, this idea of task forces versus, versus these long-standing committees. But maybe, do you guys want to do maybe two lessons, just two principles that you really, uh, that, that kind of, you know, really helped you create change in a small church context? Because we know it can be a struggle. I think the one thing uh, that John was really good at, a uh, previous lead pastor we worked under, was vision casting and really casting the vision for where he wanted to head and doing that early before we even set a time. It kind of had our own time frame within leadership where we wanted to be, but casting that vision out plenty time in advance to bring people along with you. So that by the, when you started getting into that time, to really make those changes, you had people already bought into it before you even had to start talking about, hey, we're going to have to raise, you know, some money for this, or we're going to have to do these. And then the other thing was um, putting kids first. He, you know, when he came to his, their church to take it over, he, he uh, realized that all the pastoral staff were in the largest rooms in the building and the kids in their nursery were in the smallest. And he literally moved everybody out and um changed it and even his office was a small office (laughs) for a while so that making what was going to be first what were you going to make first and i think Mm -hmm. i don't know if you had yeah i made it important i don't know if you had any other ideas too um no i think that that is one thing that he and he when you talk about vision he talked about it all the time it was what he bled you know and he um no matter if it was with the children's ministry was it with small groups, the connection groups? Was it with the youth ministry? Whatever it was, the same vision flowed from one mm. to the next, to the next, to the next. So that every department head had the same, you know, vision. We knew we, what we were doing, or you know, doing and helping grow the church through that direction. So yeah, and even like even the worship team, they had the same, you know, mm. vision. They had the same passion of, you know. And it flowed through. So we kind of did that here with all of our teams. Like they weren't um, silos. Sure. It's one vision. <laughs> we're in a rural community. They're used to that, but we're not. We're, you know, we all come together in mm-hmm. one vision. No, that is one of the things I think that that we learned. And again, like I stated before, was that changing is important. We have to change with the times, not losing, of course, our our faith, oh, sure, our, sure. you know, yeah. all we're not that compromising, stuff, but, but change yeah. and compromise really aren't the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, and being right. up with what, what is our community? What are we doing? And the other thing I want to say too, is that, and uh, both the last, the two churches that we've been involved in as getting involved in the community yeah. is mm-hmm. huge. Like being on um, boards, going on to like Troy's on a um, child abuse, you know, board, and he's on a wellness committee board through the hospital and it's like getting involved in people in the community so they know who you are and that's Mm. so i think it's important i know that pastor john did that as well like he was very involved in the community 
Well, here it's a little harder because it's yeah. a rural community and people know the, you know, the mayor's son and the uncle. And yeah, it's the last and names and it's the connections. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, but that's how you can become involved is not just, you know, invite people to church is being involved and in letting them know who you are as a person. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And honestly, like, uh, again, I love, I love those concepts because, because again, like I, I speak as somebody, we speak as pastors who love the church and specifically love the rural church. You know, it's part of our history. It's part of our presence, part of our future. Um, but there's still a sense in which we can look with a loving critique, you know, just mm-hmm. a, a loving look in and go, hey, you know, again, I love how you highlighted your pastor. You know, he he rearranged the rooms to make make the number one thing. And I think one thing I and this is kind of, again, just flowing from our conversation, but but I love sometimes the intentionality of like a larger church context, which doesn't mean that it can't happen in a rural church. But sometimes what happens in a rural church just happens because that's who you've got or what you can focus on or what you can do. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to say, no, we're going to craft this. We are going to prioritize. We're going to be strategic. Mm-hmm. I just think that that intentionality is so huge, man. Good stuff so far. Well, let's, uh, let's keep chatting because um, there's another half of this story that I, I want to dive into. Now this next question might be one that you answer quickly. You can answer however you want, but I would love to hear from both of you. But during the course of our phone call, it became clear that in some ways, and I'm not going to blanket statement this too hard, but I want to inspire conversation. Even though you and your wife are from rural places, you've pastored rural places, it doesn't necessarily seem to me like in every way it's your preferred context. So my question is, why do you stay in spite of that? Again, you can give a simple answer, a really spiritual answer, a really practical answer. It's up to you, but I'll I'll let let you guys parse that out. We stay because God said, period. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) But (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not. I, I mean, anyone who knows me knows I'm, I'm a, I love the outdoors. I love country. I love all that, but I, I like to be closer to a city and to be the conveniences of a city, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, when I left home from being, when I was 18 years old, I was like, I'm never going back to small town again. <laughs> if it doesn't have a Walmart, I'm not going okay, there. Sure. So, um, this town doesn't have a Walmart. And I was so, about to was, ask. Yeah, that was my yeah, next question. No. I was like, in fact, man, the, funny, the funny thing is the community here in this, um, we're the county seat of the of our um, <clears throat> Shelby County is where we live and um, Harlan. But, you know, after we had moved in and we knew God told us to come. I mean, it was confirmed. This is where God wants Absolutely. us. Yes, we will go where God calls us. And so, but when we moved in, it was like, I found out later that they had an opportunity to have a Walmart, but the town wanted to vote Walmart down because they wanted to stay small. (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? Who does that? I love it. I love it so much for all its bads (laughs) and goods. Like rural towns are awesome. Like in their own way, they're just, they're a whole ridiculous menagerie. I love it. I love it. They they do. And they're so, and and it says a lot about the town there's, and there's a, there, and there's a sign that says Harlan proud and pride, and they're so proud of their heritage and they're so proud of great. what they Which are and they have all that. So why do we stay? And like I always said, cause God said, and we've always yeah. in our ministry, we have stayed through some rough times in other places and said, you know, God, until you release us, we can't go. Comfortability has never been our mantra in ministry. It's like, 
it's always been rough, you know, it's like, and planting, and I just think it's so funny that I was a farmer's daughter raised in the farming communities. I understand my dad was a crop farmer and we're in a farming community and, you know, there's drought, there's seasons of drought. There is so much time when crops don't yield and the farmer is struggles and, but the farmer continues. And I, I always talk to my dad about, you know, just what made him keep doing it. That was his passion. So he never stopped. So I think what keeps us is the fact that, you know, God called us here and, um, the growth we see is not the growth of the numbers in the pews, but the growth in the individuals who some people who have been stuck for 30 years doing the same thing are growing in their faith. And And, and um, is that not a win? Is that not a win? Like right there. And so people are changing and, um, Things are happening in the lives of the individuals. And that's where we have, Troy and I have said, so often in the church world, we've been trained through every conference, everything is about numbers. And I'm like, we're seeing what God sees in their heart is like, so there's numbers, but are their souls, are they growing? Are they learning more about Jesus? Is their passion to know Jesus more deeply? And that part is what keeps us because we see fruits um in people's lives yeah because i think if we if we truly measured or decided well how well we were doing based on numbers um i think we would have quit um ended a little <laughs> lot earlier but when we start looking at the the things that are really almost unmeasurable in some way you know how do you determine someone but when you start seeing the fruit grow or mm-hmm. some people have been you know, comfortable sitting and being part of something for a long time. And then now they're really engaging and they're giving, I mean, every year their investment and in, in desire to invest in the next generation has grown. Wow. Um, their desire to give to BGMC, Speed the Light has yeah, always given away sure, what yeah. we've done. Um, those types of things, what they do in missions mm-hmm. um, as to us is what, has kept us here. Um, and then like Brenda said, because God has not told us, released us or yeah. said anything different. And, and there's always going to be dry spots. You can always look through all through biblical sure. history of how many dry spots that people went through um, tough times. And if the way I look at it, Paul can write a, do his entire ministry from prison. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sitting, I'm not sitting in prison. You know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly. um, I, I, and I've got a, and we have a great group of people that we're with. And so, but yes, if, if we, if you ever, if we ever had our brothers, yes, we would have to say we would love to be in the city. Sure, uh, sure. But that, but that's, that's just who we are. Somewhere with a Walmart. So, yep. So yeah, Brenda's with Walmart. As long as there's a Walmart. Uh, uh, honestly, so they, honestly. That's going to be the title of this really, episode, Somewhere with a Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we can, but I think for that's how we do it. We look at some of the things that. Sure. Our um, ACMR reports and things that we do for the assemblies, that those things are unmeasurable. We have to start yeah. looking at how, how can we personally measure those out and what yeah. are we seeing for success? Yeah. And honestly, that's huge. I I love, love, love that you guys just repeated over and over that answer. Like, hey, we do it because of the call of God. Because I, I think that, you know, if, if people are listening to this and they're leaders and pastors and whatever – we can all say like, yeah, I, I follow the call of God. That's why I do what I do. But then to like have to wrestle with like, hey, I, I'm in a season, a place, a context where God has called me, but where I'm not comfortable. And like that is huge. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so this last bit, I maybe uh, want to combine our last two questions here as we're winding down our conversation. But I know that you guys, uh, one of the tried and true principles of rural, and you guys already touched on it, is to get involved in the community, just to be involved. Now, can you guys just super briefly tell me like all the ways you have intentionally involved yourself in the community? Well, one thing that I, when I first started, the struggle for me was I work in a school and I, there wasn't a job at our school here. So I had to drive an hour to the city, which every day I drive there. So I was, I was building relationships and rapport in that community and not here. So that was a struggle. Um, but just for me personally, I did make some connections with some people in friendships, like through acquaintances of people and sure. we would go out for coffee and lunch and um, they were very solidly connected in their other churches. Um, nice. I I joined a group of ladies that were um, the Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, no, it was Presbyterian, I can't remember the denomination, but they were pastor's wives and they would have lunch and coffee. And so I just started to join them and just um, granted, I wasn't trying to steal sheep or anything. It was just trying to yeah. understand the community and understand how to get to know each other and stuff. So just that kind of thing, building relationships and reaching out to our neighbors. For me, that's what I did. Um, nice. And I know you have. I When we came, I started subbing the school. I went to the school to find out where, hey, what, what areas of help could they need? And they said, well, we have a policy that we can't have you do that, but we need subs. So I started subbing. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I could be there. I could have been there every day of the week if I needed to be. And yeah. there were some weeks that I did. Um, because that was the need and was, and I did it just to meet people. And out of that, um, started getting introduced. Then I got involved on a, um, a was a, basically a wellness board for our county. It started with our regional hospital by answering an email. I answered it, got involved on that. And next thing I know, I'm on that board. And then I sit on a, um, from there, I moved into, I work on, I'm also a board officer for a, um, child protective or child abuse prevention board, which, you know, child abuse, that's a whole nother story we could get into. Right, um, right. It's very large in the rural community. People don't realize that. And so I'm, I sit on that board, which then ended up leading me into going back to get my master's in mental health counseling. And I do all my clinical hours at our local um, behavioral clinic, which has connected me with even more. Mm -hmm. So um, out of those, I was, I've been meeting with people that are, the mayor, the movers and shakers of our community, even though they're established in their own churches, many of them are, but it's just connecting our church to the community. Mm -hmm. The whole goal was to get us, not them connected to us, but our church. Connected to yep. Them. So and what ways can we do that? We also joined the Shelby County Community Outreach yep. um, Board, and we were on that so that we could um, know what kind of needs there were in the community. And then we started to share those needs with our church and then we did, um, you know, we went to delivered food, we delivered meals, we went to the school and said, because I wasn't at that, now I'm in that school, but at the time I wasn't. Right. And so we go to the school and say, what are the needs that you have in the school, what families needs and stuff like that, so that we could go in and just show that we're not a church who is saying, come to me, we're a church that's going to come to you. Right. And that's Absolutely. where the difference is, is a lot of times it's it's not an advertising of, hey, look at our church with our lights and flashiness. It's we care. You know, we're going to help you. So that's Absolutely. And uh, so this is a very short answer question, this next one, because we're wrapping down on our on our time here. But 
I want to ask you, uh, as you guys have been there, how long? Four uh, years. Yeah, four, four years. It'll be four and a half. It'll be five years in June. Now, even with that portfolio, do you feel like an outsider or an insider to your community? Outsider. I saw him. Yep. We're an outsider. <laughs> this, yeah. this, this community, because I, I don't know if it's because it's smaller or what, but I've had a lot of conversations at school. Like I work in the school now and um, some people like that have moved in that t- to teach at the school that aren't from here that are totally unrelated to church have talked about how difficult this town is to get to build relationships. So I don't know that it's all rural is like this, but this, this community is a very difficult community and a very lonely and isolating community when it comes to that. And, and we, so we feel like an outsider and we've even at times, even with all the committees and things that I sit on or been involved in, I am still told that I'm still an outsider. You know what yeah. I mean? Or still, because since we didn't um, raise our kids here, since our kids didn't play sports here, we didn't bury yeah. anybody here, we didn't grow up here, we're right. always going to be an outsider as it comes to the community. So, I, yeah. Yeah. And so, it, it, I mean, we've accepted that. So we just have to find a way how to, as an outsider, do we not engage in, in a way to be fruitful in a community where you're always going to be that way? And honestly, uh, that's the note of this conversation I want to leave us with is uh, sometimes I think rural pastors, we think, well, we do all the things, we do all the things, we do all the things, and we'll we'll be accepted. And honestly, here you are four years in doing all the things and still plowing in a hard place. Yep. And so listener, if you're tuning in, I just want to leave you with that thought that there are pastors out there who are in the rural church who may not always love what they're doing and may feel like they're struggling. And yet we plow on because that's what God has asked us to do. So one more time, I want to say thank you to you guys for being on here. Well, thank you for having us. This was great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, from all of us, you know, of course, at Rural Advancement, we're just so happy again to bring you content every week that speaks right to where you're at. We are so excited and we're looking ahead to the new year where we get to mine more wisdom from rural leaders. And uh, we're pumped you joined us. So we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.